The Sunday Sit-Down on Algoa FM. Just after half past 12 on Algoa FM, it's Sunday lunch with Charles Leslie through until 3 o'clock this afternoon. I have a guest on the line from Florida in the United States, Khalil Osiris. Good morning to you. Good afternoon to me. Good morning. Very good. Good to be with you. Uh, thank you very much for getting up so early. It's uh, 6.30 in Florida at the moment, a.m.? Yes. So, so are you are you an early riser, or, or did, did did we really <laughs> make you get up extra specially early on this Sunday? No, I'm an early riser, and we have a major event celebrating uh, the world's President Day. So for us, uh, this is a magnificent day. So you want to cram as many hours into it as you absolutely can, so even more reason to get up early and uh, start off with hopefully an inspirational chat. Absolutely, and we're looking forward to every second of this day to lift up the name and the banner of um, our president, Nelson Mandela. We're very happy about this day. We are too, historically, but you'll understand how the shine um, of of Mandela's vision has been tarnished, um, not only while he was alive, but especially since he has uh, passed away. Uh, but to, let, let's talk about you first, Khalil Osiris. What gets you 20 years in prison? Well, um, generally when we hear those stories, we think it's because of someone who's had a horrific childhood and wounded in ways that we can't imagine, and therefore they go out into the world and um, find themselves wounded in the world or wounding others in the world. But in my case, uh, it was that I was conscientized by the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. I grew up in a um, pretty much middle-class American neighborhood, and it was at the height of the civil rights movement. So during that time, there was a lot of ideas about how we should make change. Black Panther Party came into communities and began to do the change with people in communities. And so I was struck by that as a young, a young man, young teenager, and found myself completely enamored of their message. The challenge was that the more I learned about the injustices, the angrier I became. And that anger turned into a kind of recklessness because I didn't have the maturity, the emotional or intellectual maturity to really, really understand how important revolutionary struggle is and to make conscious decisions that were aligned with with those revolutionary principles. So in my case, as a teenager, being angry and reckless, um, my anger turned into um, delinquency, and that delinquency was ultimately criminal behavior. At 17, out of that anger, I was sent to prison. The month was June. The year was 1976. So if 1976, June of 1976, in America, I found myself on the way to prison at 17 years old, sentenced as an adult, and then ending ending up in maximum security prison. What I can tell you is this, it changed my life forever. And so it was in that experience of 17 years old, June 19, for me, June 1976, on my way, and being further conscientized by how prison operated, not what we think about rehabilitation, but how it really works. Um, In my case, I served five years, and I can just tell you that nothing in my life prepared me for what I was going to experience while I was in prison, what I did experience. When I came out after five years, I was very much wounded as a human being. 
a very angry and a violent human being. And so with that, I returned to crime. Within a couple years, I was rearrested. And at 25, I was standing in front of a judge for my second time. And he just looked at me and he just said, you know, I wish that I could give you more time, given that you didn't have to be here. You had other options, but you chose to be a criminal defendant today. Now, that may seem harsh to someone who's listening, who, who doesn't, who, who don't, if you don't have a context for how I had become. And so um, when that judge looked at me and said, he's given me 15 to 75 years, which was essentially the rest of my life in prison. Um, I looked at it and really for me, it was a, a, an epiphany. It was a, a moment of deep awakening. And what I realized at that moment, I wasn't going to prison, back to prison, because I had been conscientized by the Black Panther Party. I wasn't going back to prison because of my, uh, any kind of mistake that I had made. Actually, in this instance, I was on my way back to prison because of some choices I intentionally made. And so when I recognized that aspect of my situation, which was the only aspect I had any control over, I realized that that was the area of my life I needed to focus on most intensely, most clearly. My choices, my values, my thoughts, my own agency and efficacy. And it was with that transformation transformation of my own thinking that I realized, actually, I had been incarcerated long before I was ever arrested. Huh. And my epiphany was, it wasn't the arresting police officer, it wasn't the prosecution or the sentencing judge. The source of my incarceration before my arrest was my self-defeating beliefs, thoughts, and actions. So once I realized that I had power over that, the key for me was, the existential question was, how will I use it now that I know? And so I began to construct a very different life for myself, even while in prison. And it was during that time I decided, I'm going to use this time the best that I can. And my philosophy was very, very, very simple. Turn the cell into a classroom and prison into a university. Wow. With that principle, with, with that clear vision, I went on to earn my bachelor's and master's degree from Boston University. And while I was attending BU in prison, and you have to understand, I was in the same prison that Malcolm Little became Malcolm X, North Fork Prison Colony. And I was attending BU, the same university that Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. earned his doctorate. So I was clear about the his historic significance of the moment and my place in it. And so during that time, I realized that, uh, discovered that Makaziwi Mandela was studying at the University of Massachusetts Amherst on a, a Fulbright scholarship. So I decided to write her. I was in prison. She, uh, and we were all in prison, in, in prisons that I had traveled to, had been in we were all inspired by uh, Nelson Mandela and the statement that he stood for, the example that he stood for being in prison and yet being able to shape the world's view 
of who he was as a human being, and we didn't actually even know him. And so the power of that, of being able to create that kind of narrative was transformational for many of us who were at the bottom of life in America's prisons, who never really understood the power of our own voices. Wow. And uh, so with that pen pal relationship, we communicated for a number of years. And in 1986, I made a commitment to her in Madiba, who was at Poolsma at the time, that I would once released from prison in America, come to South Africa, work in schools and prisons to honor his contribution to those of us he would never know because we recognize the impact of his example on not only on the world, but on those of us who at that time were struggling to find relevant examples, examples that resonated and could move us to a place of higher consciousness, basically. Now, how that connects, how that connects to the next steps. I eventually got out of prison, did quite a lot of great work here in the U.S. in terms of organizing, uh, working around prisoner uh, reenfranchisement, and all of those kinds of things. But I ultimately moved to South Africa. And while in South Africa, I did exactly what I said in 1986. While I was in prison at the bottom of life, the promise I made, I fulfilled on it. I went to South Africa. I moved there worked in schools and prisons all over the country. Um, And there are many men who are in prisons in South Africa now who are released from prisons in South Africa who had an opportunity to participate in the programming that we did called Get Out and Stay Out, Go So. That work continues with the men's lives who we touched. Those men are now peer educators. Their examples are extraordinary in terms of what's possible when one decides to take a different path and one recognizes their own power and agency. And this wasn't a case of me going into prison and empowering uh, anyone. What my message is, is very clear. We don't need to be empowered. We have immense power already. The question is, and this is, I always say, the, que- the existential question is, how do we use the power that we have? Not seize power, but how do we use the power that we have? Because most people are so convinced we don't have power that we're sitting back accepting labels and titles and thoughts of victimhood. And I think um, our great revolutionary psychiatrist and theorist, Franz Fanon, said it best. Each generation must, out of relative obscurity, discover admission and fulfill it or betray it. So while Madiba is an example to us, we do not wait for him to fulfill our mission. We are a generation past him. The actions that he engaged in, the limited understanding that he had in the decisions that he made at that time, guess what? I've, I've, I've read and heard a lot of historical revisionists who, out of their rage for the, the, the current state of absolute contradictions in our struggle, our struggle that we thought was for liberation, there are those revisionists now who will tell us, oh, Madiba was this, and Madiba didn't know that, and Madiba didn't know that. They followed him during that time. Do we forget that those are the same people who followed him? Do, do we forget that his contemporaries that now talk so horribly about him 
other very ones that followed him too? <laughs> yeah, that, that, a that's a, struggle. a very, very good question. I think we'll, we'll move on to talking uh, about um, the story of, well, not the story of so much. Uh, uh, George Floyd was, was kind of a... a, a uh, a turning point of sorts in, in America's kind of uh, racial history, um, much like we've had several um, in, in this country. Uh, and that has resulted in the so-called TRC, Truth and Reconciliation Conversations documentary uh, that um, you are busy with now. And, of course, a global summit that takes place today and tomorrow, if I have it right. Absolutely. We hold uh, what's called the Truth and Reconciliation Conversation. TRC Global Summit to honor Nelson Mandela International Day and the ongoing struggle for human rights and racial and social justice. So this is an event that um, we're doing the first global summit this year, but for the last three years, we've been celebrating Nelson Mandela International Day in Florida, across the state of uh, Florida, and it's been received very enthusiastically. Um, But the TRC Global Summit We'll showcase a documentary today at uh, 6 o'clock South African time, which is called Five Commitments, Truth and Reconciliation Conversations. And the focus is on individuals who are living daily with the challenges of racism uh, and injustice and are doing work to face it and overcome it. Right. Um, so um, the question then is, uh, South Africa has in the last kind of 10 days or so had what has been described as the worst unrest in the 27 years of democracy. Um, we've seen a lot of people who have done some really horrible things and been very opportunistic. It is being said that it appears as though um, there were there, there was um, there were people, there was a plan in place to destabilize the country. In, in fact, people have used the word coup. Um, then we found a whole lot of South Africans deciding that they were not going to tolerate um, this unrest. They were not going to take part in looting. And in fact, some went one step further. Not only did they help with cleanups um, and assisting people who had been put into need by the unrest, but they actively targeted the people who were causing unrest um, and other people guarded places to make sure no unrest could take place there. So the question that that I I posed to you earlier that I'm restating now is um, we know that plenty South Africans um, have shown the kind of um, characteristics that that are are necessary at a time like this. Uh, To wrap, basically, what can the average South African do now if they aren't already doing it to move things forward? I think that the example you're seeing of those citizens who are taking the lead in organizing themselves, first and foremost, to protect their communities from those who would be opportunistic in their criminality. Listen, we all have grievance when we face injustice. South Africans, I've been following very carefully carefully the struggles and the unrest. And what I would say is we're going to see, I'm confident we're going to see more and more people find their courage to leave their homes and not be silent about the injustice that's happening with the opportunistic elements who are out there in the streets, destroying people's businesses, homes, and taking lives. 
So there's nothing more powerful than when people come together with a shared interest for good, with a shared interest to help others. And what it, I think it's critical that we understand those who are fearful and who are in their homes. What's critical for all of us to understand is that the element, this destructive element is in the minority, but they're disproportionately influential because of their aggression. Those, of, those who sit back and watch it and, and feel powerless, the most important thing that you can do is to begin to find your voice to say no. And from that voice, find the courage to connect with others. And when you connect with others, use your voice together to address the injustice. Because we can outnumber, and we do outnumber, those who would fight against our democracy. Hmm. Thank you so very, very much, Khalil Osiris. Um, we would love to welcome you back to South Africa anytime you'd like to come and visit. Um, all the best for the continuing it's TRC. My home. <laughs> well, yes, um, and um, the Global Summit as well. Um, we will catch up again soon, I'm fairly sure. I look forward to it, and please do attend the summit today and tomorrow. Look forward to seeing Great, thank you very much. On air. On air. Online. Online and all over your world. This is Algoa FM.